Good morning. Today I'll be reading from Hebrews 6, 1 through 12. Um, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to renew the repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to your salvation. For God is not unjust, who will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will become be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, <clears throat> those of you who know that oftentimes when uh, Jared, Pastor Jared is out, he invites me uh, to take his place up here, and I thought with the summer sermon series of You Asked For It, that we should continue asking questions. Uh, but I talked to Jared, and I looked at the list that he had put out, and this question wasn't on it, so I thought, I'll ask the question myself and then uh, attempt to answer it. And I shared after Sunday school class this morning, I think maybe I was a little too quick to propose this as the farther I got into it, the more challenging it became. So I ask that you just be with me this morning as we both explore the possible answers to this question based on Hebrews 6, 1 through 12. And, but before we do that, I want to open with a word of prayer. Father God, we just ask that at this time that you would be present with us through the preaching of your word, that we would have clarity and understanding, that we'd be able to listen with our ears and to understand with our minds and to take it into our heart. And Father, through all this, that you would be glorified. Amen. I originally thought, not seriously about it, but just kind of a humorous way, I would come up here, ask the question, give a one-word answer, have a closing prayer, and go sit down. And by the time I'm done, you may have wished that I wasn't, that I had taken that more seriously. But anyway, let's begin. Uh, I think it was Memorial Day weekend that I began a series on Hebrews, which the rate that I preach it, the Lord will come back before I get through Hebrews. But anyway, at that time, I gave, us a back, gave you an overview and a background of what Hebrews was, just so we'd have an understanding of the book that we're looking at. 
Uh, so I just want to review that for a couple of minutes, and then we'll get into this morning's text. Uh, the author of Hebrews is unknown. Uh, there have been several names that have been suggested, and there are great debates about who it possibly might be. Uh, Origen, uh, the third century uh, saint, said that, you know, only God knows who the author is, and that's good enough for us, I think, for today. Uh, the recipients of this letter are Jews who have converted to Christianity, uh, perhaps in Palestine, some think in Rome. It's a small home church. Uh, they are experiencing persecution, and they anticipate it to be getting much worse. And they've already observed and uh, said goodbye to some former believers who have left to return to Judaism. And there's a couple reasons why that might, be, might have been attractive to them. First off, Judaism at this time was still a recognized and protected religion by the Roman government. And so that was not enjoyed by the new Christian church. And secondly, Judaism was comfortable. They grew up in it. They understood it, and the Jewish community would welcome them back rather than being finding themselves with no community other than themselves. And so they were, would be content with returning to their heritage, and it made them very feel very comfortable, again, as I said, be very comfortable just returning to what they knew best. But the author begins, and the main focus of this letter is to just show and demonstrate the superiority of Jesus to everything that the Jews held to be so dear. He was superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses and to Joshua and to the law and to the prophets and to the priests. And this letter consistently brings this point as he brings up each one of these he demonstrates how Jesus is superior to them but in the process of doing this he also offers some pastoral counseling as well and we see that throughout this book but what the author is doing and Augustine is uh, Augustine is credited with this he is showing that the old was in the old the new was in the old concealed the old is in the now revealed so in other words, Jesus was in the Old Testament, but he was hidden. And now all those things that were in the Old Testament that deemed to be important are now being revealed in the New Testament. And so the primary focus of this letter, again, is to just dem demonstrate the superiority of Jesus, God's son, to anything that had preceded him, that God had revealed to his people. Uh, in addition to that, again, he's reminding his readers not only the superiority of Jesus, of Jesus, but he's also telling them that Christ is supreme. As I said, it offers some pastoral counseling. Uh, one of the passages that often you find uh, people talking about Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And oftentimes you'll hear that when we're trying to encourage people to continue in their uh, faithfulness in attending church and participating in what the works of the church are. Uh, after I had given the uh, scripture passage, I realized that I really needed some verses preceding chapter six, and so I'm gonna bring those in uh, at this time because as I read the commentaries, they said, you know, it's unfortunate that the chapter break occurs where it does in the middle of this pastoral part 
that uh, we're going to be looking at this morning. Previous to this, he's talking about Jesus being superior to the priest. And he ends that up with talking about the Melchizedek. In chapter 7, he'll pick this up again and continue to go with that. But so I want to back up to chapter 5 and begin with verse 11, and then we'll follow that into chapter 6. But look at first, let's look first at uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become full dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So our author it begins here, this section of the letter, by expressing his disappointment with a lack of maturity of his readers. Note again verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. And I would say, you know, the church today perhaps needs to heed, heed these words of warning. It's just as much as the Hebrew audience needed it as well. In the book of Hebrews, there are five warning passages. Uh, each one gets progressively worse. These passages are found in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 13, Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12, which we'll look at this morning, Hebrews 9, or excuse me, 10, 19 through 39, and finally Hebrews 12, 14 through 29. As I said, we're going to look at 5.11 through 6.12. But to do that, I want to be very careful to let the scriptures speak rather than to have the scriptures have me speak into the scriptures what I think they need to be. And I realize that's very difficult to do. Uh, as we, in our human minds, read something, we begin to form an opinion about what we read. So anyway, I'm going to attempt that this morning. You will be the judge of whether I succeed or not. Uh, Ray Stedman's comments on, from Hebrew, his commentary on Hebrews, I thought were very insightful on this particular passage that we're looking at. He says, the paragraph from 5.11 to 6.3 turns aside from, for the moment to examine the spiritual condition of the readers of this epistle. Verses 11 through 13 describe their immature state. Verse 14 shows them what they should be, and 6.1 through 13 tells them how to get there. It has been quite evident thus far in, the he in Hebrews that the pastor's heart of the author has been deeply troubled over the spiritual state of some of his readers. Then Al Mohler writes on verse 11, the congregation became intellectually sluggish by their own negligence. Their spiritual immaturity was their fault. They grew intellectually dull because they became sluggish of heart. Christ's priesthood, which I said precedes these verses, became difficult to understand because their hearts became indifferent to Scripture. Thus, the author must stop explaining Christ's priesthood in order to admonish his people and prod them out of their lethargy. In verse 14, we see that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, because the author is again reminding his, 
readers the evidence of maturing in faith. And as I was reading through this and thinking about, uh, and as many of you know, my wife Lula did daycare for over 40 years, and this transitioning from milk to solid food, uh, she would receive these babies and give them formula, and then over time they would mature from that and start to receive the baby food. And uh, young mothers know this. When you go to the baby food, you start with the vegetables, because if you start with the desserts, they won't eat the vegetables. And uh, I would get excited when she'd bring out the apricot stuff and the blueberry buckle stuff, and she said, leave that alone, that's for the kids. Uh, but then as you progress from that, you know, they would go to the macaroni and cheese and the applesauce and some of those things, and uh, I better quit. You'll be, your minds will leave me, and you'll be thinking about lunch. But uh, anyway, it's a progression. And apparently from what has been communicated to the author, this church has not moved beyond the basic elementary teachings of the church. So let's begin with 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What he is doing is reminding him the basics of what the Christian faith was brought to them by. Uh, these are the marks of the early church. These are the things that they were first exposed to, the elementary doctrines of Christ. Move beyond that onto maturity. The laying on of hands is something that's very common in the early church. The repentance from dead works. That is a reference, I believe, uh, to their former Judaism, which had a dead works-based works theology, and move towards faith towards God. And instructions about watchings. They also were early church uh, things that they did. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Those things are elementary. Let's move on to the more mature things in our faith. And so again, yes, he's charging his readers to resist the temptation to continue in the ways of Judaism and to move forward and embrace this new faith in Christ and Christ alone. For as we know, even the song that we just sang, in Christ and Christ alone. For he is our salvation, for as the Luke wrote in Acts 4.12, for there is no other name by which men must be saved. So now let's look at verses 4 through 8. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those <clears throat> for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. What have they experienced? Everyone that had been in that church initially had had the opportunity for baptism and probably was baptized. Also received and tasted the heavenly gift. The commentators believe that is a reference to communion. Shared in the Holy Spirit. The works of the Holy Spirit were evident in the early church. And they had tasted the goodness of the word of God. They'd had the gospel proclaimed to them. 
They're aware of the powers of the gospel message and the power of the times to come. But some of them had fallen away. They wanted to return to Judaism. Maybe they were just disenchanted with what this whole thing, they were expecting something much quicker happened to, to happen to them. But whatever the reason was, there are people who had turned away and returned to something different. They no longer would identify with the church. And he was telling the readers, I believe this is what he's telling the readers is that for those people who have left, there is no chance for repentance and to return. So the question this morning is, the one that I'll get probably in trouble with, but can I lose my salvation? And the verses I've just read often are used by both camps to debate on whether or not your salvation can be lost. And so obviously there are two answers. One group says, yes, you can lose your salvation. Another group says, no, you cannot. The Arminians, uh, that's based on some work of Jacob Arminius and has been developed, further developed by others since then, believe that you can lose your salvation. Calvinists or Reformed say you can't. So how are we to know who's right? And I'm gonna tell you right now, don't trust me to be the final authority. But I'm just going to share this morning, the few minutes we have remaining, I'm gonna share my thoughts on this, uh, this question and my answer to it. So I'm gonna go through a very brief overview of uh, Arminianism. If you want a much more detailed one, you can do that research yourself or you can check with Pastor Jared. And I would advise the same for Calvinism or the Reformed uh, philosophy and how uh, they address these things, both theologies Theological systems has their own way of approaching this. Uh, the Armenians, they believe that God is sovereign, yet he allows for our free will and will not impose salvation on anyone, but salvation is an individual's decision. So I know that's kind of a vague statement, but I hope it gives you an understanding of their view on whether or not salvation can be lost because of the method by which salvation occurs. And from my limited study on the Arminian position, I've concluded that the classical Arminianism position also believes that it takes a conscious and deliberate act on the, the individual's part to lose their salvation. It's called apostasy, which is renunciation or abandonment of a religious belief. So you intentionally have to turn your back on Christ. So in other words, just a casual misstep will not cause you to lose your salvation. Now, Brian Borgman, uh, I've listened to some of his messages. He had a message on a couple of these verses that was 52 minutes long, so be thankful that I've condensed a lot of that. Uh, but anyway, as he was talking about this, he shared that when he was about 14, he became a believer. He began reading the Bible, and when he got to Hebrews 10 and got the verse, these verses, he said, I really was worried that, you know, because I knew I still sinned, and so what was I going to do with my salvation if there is no way that I can be restored? Uh, but then since then, he said, he, as he continued reading through Hebrews and some other scriptures, he was uh, encouraged to continue just to mature in his faith and, and not to be concerned about that. Uh, but anyway, in the message that I listened to, he talked about the two positions, the Armenian and the uh, Calvinist position, and he called the Armenian position a con conditionality of final salvation. So in other words, on conditions, your final salvation can be uh, assured. 
And so I'm just going to share, he had several scriptures. I'm just going to share a few of them right here just to give you a, an idea of, the, of what's being presented there. And, and we have to take them seriously. But Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then Romans 11:22. Note that the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And in 1 Corinthians 9:27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And in Colossians 1:21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. And last one, 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's just a few scriptures that point to the necessity of the believer continuing to be diligent in their faith journey. And you can't ignore these verses. Uh, they do require a serious examination. And Arminians just say, believe it is possible to lose your salvation, although it's not easy to do so, and it takes a conscious effort to do so. On the other hand, there is a Calvinist or Reformed view, and they say no. Their emphasis really is upon who is truly saved. And I'll share some scriptures from the Calvinist perspective. John 6, 37 through 40. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In John 10, 27, very familiar. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. Then, excuse me, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 1.8, speaking of Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we find here scriptures that seem to support two different positions on this issue and again I believe the position of being truly saved will persevere to the end and for me this issue is really about determining <coughs> this will be determining on who claims to be a Christian and whether they genuinely are one some people claim to be a Christian we're aware of that yet they lack fruit they have no growth they never move beyond the milk other people you see it's evident you see a spiritual growth at all times. Somewhere a long time ago, I read this. Uh, I didn't go back to find the proper reference, uh, but I read about the evangelistic crusades of Charles Tenney. 
uh, 19th century preacher and theologian. Uh, he developed a systematic theology that's more like a legal system. Uh, you can read more about him. I would commend to you an article uh, about him by uh, Michael Horton, who I think does a very good treatment of Charles Finney. Anyway, he started uh, having crusades that were hugely popular and large crowds were coming forward and uh, confessing to be new Christians and they responded to his appeals. Well, there was a group that six to nine months later would travel to those communities just to determine whether or not people's lives were truly transformed. Were they generally, genuinely converted? This article that I, that I read about it said, they were dis disappointed to learn that in only a short time, the new converts had returned to their former lives. And this, that's to me, that's the crux of the matter we're looking at this morning. Is Hebrews addressing genuine believers or those that have fallen away? Well, I believe it's the latter, and it serves as a warning to the congregation to continue to mature their faith. The author uses verses 7 and 8 to describe the benefits of continuing God's blessing, the land that God blesses with rain and produce a crop, but land that produces thorns and thistles, they are useless and will be burned. Uh, even though I'm retired, I have a part-time job, and then I do some driving around in the community, I can see the land that God has blessed with rain. The corn's seven or eight feet tall, the beans are knee-high, everything's green, it's flushes, you know there's going to be a great crop that's going to be produced. It is enjoying God's blessing. Occasionally you'll go by an area that has nothing growing on it, that it seems to be cursed by God. That could be your life as well. If you are you bearing fruit, are you going to produce something that is good? If not, what's God going to do with you? And as I move to close, I want to just go through 9 through 12 very quickly. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the, the promises. God will not overlook what you do in your progress and your maturing. God's not going to just stand on the sidelines wringing his hands wondering if poor old person is going to make it or not. God knows, and if you persevere, he will be with you. Well, the author is concluding this portion of the letter uh, to not only to encourage the believers, but give them assurance of having hope to the end. And while I believe that the true believers cannot lose their salvation, I acknowledge that you have examples of people who you know had abandoned their faith and are living an unrepentant life. And Perhaps for me, it's the case of Joshua Harris. You may not be aware of who he is. Uh, he was the lead pastor of the Covenant Life Church, the founding church of the Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, I think it has undergone some challenges in the last few years. Uh, he's perhaps better known uh, some years ago as the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And he wrote several other books uh, along that topic as well. One of them is not even a hint. But anyway, I have a copy of his book, Dug Down Deep. I, it's based on the parable of the two builders. I thought it was very insightful. I really enjoyed it. I, it had some points in there. 
that I hadn't thought about when looking at those two parables and how to grow, grow your relationship with God. All that to be said, in 2019, Harris announced that he was separated from his wife and that he had given up on the Christian faith. So here was a man seemingly being used by God to further the kingdom, yet now he has walked away from the faith. So how do you reconcile his story with the understanding that we are saved from falling away? The Reformed view. And perhaps you yourself have someone in your life that you've known that's like a Joshua Harris, someone that demonstrated great faith, someone even perhaps was in, instrumental in your development and your maturing in the faith. But what do we do with people who suddenly walk away from the faith? I find 1 John 2, 19 helpful, and I don't use it as a crux, crutch, but I think it's worth considering. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all that they all are not of us. To continue in the faith is important. Better to do so makes yourself makes you at risk. The author of Hebrews is reminding his readers that those who had fallen away had never really been fully involved and committed their lives to Christ. But the letter is not to make them worry about whether or not they can continue or whether they will fall away. The, word, the letter is to encourage them to continue in their faith. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Can you lose your salvation? Are you unsure of your salvation? Well, I wrote my, wore my, as you know, I wear a tie every Sunday. I wore my Romans 10, 9 through 10 tie this morning, so we're going to close with that scripture. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. I encourage you to continue to mature in your faith. Persevere until the end. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge that we truly are sinners, saved only by your grace. And Father, from the words of Hebrews this morning, we are encouraged to continue to persevere in our faith and to continue to grow in our faith, to seek out opportunities to let our faith shine into the community in which we live. And Father, as a part of that, may we share our lives with others that they too might be encouraged. But Father, most of all, may we share with them the grace of Jesus Christ that you bestowed on us. For Father, without that grace, we are without any hope whatsoever. And so Father, now as we prepare to sing, lift our hearts and our voices in your name. For it's his name we pray. Amen.